Okay, have any of you ever heard of a man named Jeffrey Tucker or know who he is? Well, he happens to be a writer for the Epic Times newspaper. And he's got a pretty, pretty interesting article called Repeal the 17th Amendment Now. And uh, for those of you who don't know what the 17th Amendment is, you're going to know very soon because I've been speaking about it lately and I've mentioned it on a few shows uh, within the last month or so. But before we get to that, I want to return to something we discussed yesterday regarding Brittany Griner, the woman that was released by the Russians in exchange for us releasing the Merchant of Death, an arms dealer that never should have seen the light of day. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store, depending which device you use, and simply search out The Jamie Dury Show in your native podcast aggregator app, or you can download the free Podbean app in either of those two places, and you can subscribe that way. Either way, you'll be able to subscribe to the show, listen to the show, leave reviews, uh, make comments, be notified whenever a new episode is uploaded, and we desperately need reviews and comments. The more traffic we get, the faster the show will grow. So please give us a good review. Give us a five-star review. Come on. And uh, <clears throat> help us grow the show. We try and do our best to bring you information and perspective that other people don't give you. So please give us a help to help you. Okay, so getting back to Brittany Griner. Now, full transparency, I've never seen Brittany Griner play. I had never even heard of Brittany Griner prior to her problem with the um, Russian government when she brought in an illicit substance into Mother Russia. I'm not a great big basketball fan, and I'm certainly not uh, a WNBA fan. Uh, I don't watch the WNBA. I barely watch the NBA. But if I was going to watch basketball, I would certainly watch the NBA because I want to watch a higher level of play. So it was with great interest when I read some of the physicality of Brittany Griner, six foot nine inches tall, 205 pounds, a wingspan of 87 and a half inches, which I thought amazing because Muhammad Ali, the former heavyweight champion, had 80. Uh, This is amazing, Uh, and apparently quite accomplished in her respective sport, chosen number one player in college and all that, number one in high school. Uh, So I was listening to an interview given by the Russian press while she was on the flight. She was on the plane. She hadn't taken off yet. She was heading back to the United States, and she opened her mouth, and I said, oh, my God. That has to be a man. I mean, I know she's tall, but that's a masculine voice. So I said, well, maybe it's a mistake. Let's look at another interview. So I looked at an interview regarding some fight or something that broke out on the court in a game, I think, that she was involved in. It was uploaded on YouTube three years ago. The voice didn't sound much better. So I'm beginning to wonder if her voice was only a little bit lighter three years ago because she's taking female hormones to lighten her voice, 
because it's a foregone conclusion. They're not allowing you to have female hormones in Russian prison. So perhaps after being there all this time, the effects of any female hormones she might have been taken, and again, I'm only speculating, um, could have worn off, uh, giving rise to a more masculine tone. But I found this article uh, that I thought most interesting. Um, and it was written in April of this year, after her troubles. And it's titled, it's from sportsjone.com. At sportsjone.com. Brittany Griner is a man, is a male or female, trans, gender, what? They don't know what she is. And I don't know whether they're doing this because they're trying to confuse the issue, but they keep switching pronouns during the course of the article. Now, maybe that's because they're trying to cover every pronoun under the book, under this woke horse manure, but it makes it very difficult to follow a conversation and very difficult to understand whether you're trying to say she's a man or a woman, or do you want to just rely on the necessary obfuscation saying there's no such thing as a man or a woman, so therefore it doesn't matter what she is because she can be anything she wants to be on a given day. So listen to the verbiage here as I read this article. This is interesting, okay? Here we go. In 2009, Griner was named the nation's number one high school women's basketball player by Rivals.com. She was selected to the 2009 Phoenix Mercury All-American basketball team. In 2012, she received the ESPY Award for Best Female Athlete. 2013, she signed an endorsement deal with Nike, six feet, nine inches tall, wears men's size 17 shoe and an arm length of 87 and a half inches. Griner, now that's a whole paragraph of she. Now we go to the next paragraph. Brittany Griner is not a trans- transgender person. That's in, highlighted in red. And neither is she a man. Instead, he is a homosexual. In an interview February 11, 2013, he publicly discussed his sexuality for the first time. Griner has been bullied because of her sexual orientation. Brittany's father did not embrace her graciously for coming out as a lesbian just because his personality is different and different from other women doesn't mean he is a transsexual. Of course, Brittany Griner is a woman. Why is it of course? I don't know what the hell she is. Did you listen to this disjointed nonsense that's coming out here? They can't make up their minds. He revealed that he is a homosexual in 2013. Brittany's parents were shocked when she revealed her secret, believing that she had come out as a lesbian. However, her father's name is unclear. His mother's name is Sandra Greiner. Furthermore, she grew up alongside her three siblings. In 2009, Greiner was named the nation's number one high school women's basketball player. She was selected for the 2009 Mercury All-American Basketball Team. The world of women's basketball has never seen such a player before. Of that, I have no doubt. She, he, her, him. It is incredible. It is incredible. Now, I don't know what this he, she, him, her, what is. But I have serious reservations and doubts about whether or not it, what, 
him, her, she was born a biological female. Because that voice is at least an octave lower than mine. And that should not be on a woman. I don't care if she's six foot nine. Just shouldn't be. So, just something to consider. And you have the White House through that benighted press secretary that they have now who's um, replaced the other idiot, Jen Psaki, saying that Breiner is the best, represents the best of America. Well, if she represents the best of America, America is in pretty deep doo-doo. In any event, we are in deep doo-doo for, not because of Brittany Griner, she's just a little icing on the cake, but we have a lot of other problems. But getting back to this article that I alluded to earlier, written by this man named Jeffrey Tucker. Now, a lot of you may not know what the 17th Amendment is. Um, I've spoken about it. I haven't named it by amendment, but I've spoken about the phenomenon. What is unknown to most people, because our educational system does not educate as much as it indoctrinates, is that up until 1914, which coincided with the uh, Woodrow Wilson era, the progressive era, we had a series of disastrous changes in our federal government and our laws. One of them was income tax, uh, federal income tax, which we never had before. And then the other was the 18th Amendment, which, of course, had banned alcoholic beverages, which allowed uh, mobsters to rise in, in power with prohibition. Um, they finally reversed that back in 1932 with the 21st Amendment, but we had it for quite some time. But there was another little-known amendment that's not spoken about very much, the 17th Amendment. And the 17th Amendment fundamentally changed the Constitution in a very profound way. Prior to the adoption of the 17th Amendment, United States senators were chosen in a very different manner than the way they're chosen now. Article 1 of the Constitution says, quote, All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. The House, quote, shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states. Of course, at that time, we didn't have 50 states, but we had several. The Senate is different, of course. Quote, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, chosen by the legislator thereof for six years. You see, the senators were never elected by the people. That's why the House of Representatives is always referred to as the People's House. So why did we have the Senate? The Senate served only one purpose, ladies and gentlemen. It was to represent the individual states as sovereign entities. And because each state as a sovereign entity stands on equal footing with each other state, irrespective of population, they each get two senators. The way we equalize 
the representation of the states and the people in this country is the House of Representatives, because that is population-based. That's why a state like California gets 54 representatives and 54 electoral votes in the presidential election, because they have 30-some-odd million people living there. And that's why a state like Vermont gets virtually none, because less than a half a million people live there. But every state, Vermont, is just as much a member of the union as California, and so they get two senators. By imposing a longer term in the Senate and having the legislatures choose the senators, uh, the founders hoped to give the states preeminence in the Congress. This way, the cities and large population centers would not oppress everyone else. The states themselves would be strongly represented. But that's exactly what we have going on here today. But isn't it funny? Even though the desire of the founding fathers was not to have population centers, uh, centers and large cities oppressing everyone else, that's exactly what we have today, which is why the framers never wanted the senators elected. They were chosen by the state legislatures. They represented the states. The House of Representatives represented the people. But in 1914, that was all changed during the Progressive Era. And so it now reads in Article I of the Constitution, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years. In other words, the original Constitution had the Senate chosen by the legislator thereof, whereas the new amendment replaced those words with elected by the people. That was the beginning of disaster in this country. Now, if you look at a map of the United States, and you look at it not only by state, but broken up by counties, the map of the United States is overwhelmingly red. Even in my home state of liberal New York, the overwhelming number of counties in New York State are red. I can count right here on the map. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and the city of New York and Long Island are blue. Everything else is red. So, if the legislature of the state of New York were selecting our senators, we wouldn't have charlatans like Chuck Schumer running the Senate because he wouldn't be a senator from New York. He'd still be a congressman someplace in Brooklyn. We wouldn't have people like... Uh, Bernie's, well, we probably still have Bernie Sanders because he comes from a liberal state, but we wouldn't have so many liberal senators and so many of our states wouldn't be so very liberal. The state of Oregon, for example, which is liberal in its total statewide voting because of the overwhelming influence of the city of Portland, which holds major population center. Uh, but the rest of the state is very red. It's not very blue. Here, looking at this map, almost all of the center of the United States is red. There are some speckles of blue in Colorado and New Mexico and the Arizona area. California is blue. There's some blue in the very, very southern part of Texas. There's some blue in the very, very southern part of Florida and some isolated spots 
in the peninsula, but overwhelmingly it's red. You look at this map right now, it's very easy to make a ballpark assumption that over 80% of all the counties in this country would be red. Think how different, think how different our Senate would look if those legislators in those states were picking senators. One thing's for sure, Dr. Oz would be the senator in Pennsylvania. He wouldn't have that buffoon Fetterman who can't even put together a coherent sentence, who's never had a job in his life, and is now, in addition to his uh, inherent lack of intellectual curiosity, is now hampered by a stroke. So he's unfit to serve any way you slice it. We wouldn't have judges being rammed down our throat by Democrats. We wouldn't have any of this. And what we also wouldn't have is a perpetual political dynasty and royalty that we have now. Because when you have popular elections, when you have an electorate that can be manipulated through the spending and redistribution of wealth and other people's money, the gifting of other people's money through the power to tax you have political dynasties, you have a ruling class, you have a parliament, you have an elite. You have those who feel that they are entitled. If these people were selected by the legislatures, as the legislatures' fortunes changed, so would the fortunes of the senators. And the legislators might not pick senators year upon year upon year, things would change. And so we'd have a completely different system, and for sure, <coughs> the great ponderance, excuse me, of the senators would be of a Republican or conservative bent, which means we would have less government, we'd have more secure borders, and we'd have the preservation of a culture. Right now, we have the upending of a culture. We have people actively engaged in trying to undermine the American founding, the American dream, what it means to be an American. So I think one of the main things we need to do is to get back at that. We've got to get a constitutional convention of the states. We have to make a movement <clears throat> to get back the founding principles of the nation. I think we have to undo the damage that's been done by the 17th Amendment. We have to get rid of it, repeal it, or pass a new amendment that will obviate that amendment and have these senators selected by uh, the elected representatives of the state. Now, you're going to get people squealing like stuck pigs, but that's the way it should be. Now, the other day, I was talking about how people, I think it was yesterday, that Liz Peek uh, from the Fox News are all predicting how Trump is finished and that he's nothing more than a motivating force for the Democratic base. They want to get rid of him. Look, if the man is so destructive to the Republican Party, why are they trying to stop him? Why are the Democrats trying to stop him? Why are they trying to undermine him? Why are they trying to prevent him from being elected or re-elected? Because they know he will lay waste to them. They know that he's not done. 
that if given the opportunity, he can and probably will be reelected. And so that was the very interesting insight of Roger Gimbel, who wrote an article. And what he's been saying, or what he says in this article, uh, basically mirrors what I've been telling you for quite some time. He says, it's been amusing to behold the evolution of the anti-Trump narrative since the midterm elections. Quote, now, finally at last, we can purge the Republican Party of all MAGA elements and return to that semi-official second-class status we had gotten used to under one-and-a-half-party Democratic rule. That was his um, personal spin. He said, but let's face it, Republicans had existed in a state of political abyss for decades. Trump changed all that, and it seems pretty clear that Republicans cannot win without the support of his millions of voters, but forget all that. Now at last we can return to the well-pressed, clean-cut, no-mean-tweet status quo. NPR, Mitt Romney, endless vistas of rice pudding. Conservatives might not be able to get much accomplished, but at least they can rub up against each other, make deals, scratch each other's backs, and find a spare treat to which they can attach their parched lips. No, a spare teeth. I'm sorry. A little bit X-rated there. Elon Musk's ongoing Twitter dump that is exposing the media's collusion with the Democrats to steal the 2020 election and taint all things Trump seemed for about a nanosecond as if it might upset the avocado cart of anti-Trump complacency. Yet, it seems like likely that the ongoing revelations put forward by Matt Taibbi and others will spark a certain amount of outrage on the right. I suspect, however, that the scandalous revelations will have approximately zero effect on the congealing narrative. And he hopes he's wrong. But the winds of anti-Trump sentiment are ubiquitous among the credential class. Now, who is the credential class? The credential class, of course, are the privileged, the media elites, the societal elites, the politicians that get reelected whenever they wish because of the power of the incumbency, as our system stands right now. He says not, by the way, that he believes that their hot air machine is going to make a lot of difference to what happens. That will be decided by that hugely inconvenient but apparently ineradicable group of people, the voters. In the meantime, though, watch the little erectations of hysteria have been delirious to watch. No sooner had Taibbi's first Twitter thread spun out than Trump took to Truth Social to issue this bulletin. Quote, so, with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democratic Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner, or do you have a new election? He continued, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. The pundits went crazy over that one. Donald Trump's call to terminate the Constitution. Donald Trump has sparked a furious backlash after he called for the termination of parts of the Constitution. No, that's not what Donald Trump is calling for. Let me tell you something. 
people are basically law-abiding. It's an old saying that locks were made for honest people. But honest people want to know that the system is honest and that it's not rigged. People want to believe and they need to believe that if they're wronged, legitimately wronged, they can go to have their grievances aired before an arbiter, before an administrator, before a court if necessary, and have a judge make a decision and give them justice. But when people start seeing that when they obey the law and don't let their passions run ungoverned and rule their lives, when they don't riot and act like thugs, like so many other people do, whenever there's something they don't like, like a case of police brutality, that's an excuse to go riot and steal from businesses that have nothing to do with the police brutality, even if it is legitimate. These people know they're law-abiding. They don't let their passions govern them. Follow the rules, they go to court, and they lose. They follow the rules, they go to court, and they lose again. They appeal, they follow the rules, and they lose again. And then they find that the reason they've been losing is that the game has been rigged. We saw ballots being taken from boxes out from underneath tables in Georgia and counted after the polls were closed, after the counting supposedly had stopped, after all the Republican poll workers were sent home and only Democrat poll workers were there, and then you were told you didn't see that. It was all your imagination. Evidence came to the fore of cases like that in Arizona, and you were told that's not true. You didn't see that. Six states simultaneously stopped counting. Six states in which one candidate is leading. And suddenly, that candidate is losing in all six states. Never happened before. Never going to happen again. Well, maybe not. Maybe it will happen again. Trump runs again because people are that afraid of him. These things were rigged. So when people who really want to obey the law, when people who really want to follow the rules and remain civilized, realize that no matter what they do, no matter how obedient they are, no matter how studiously they follow the rules and plead their case, that they're going to lose because the system has been rigged. What happens? Well, what happens is akin to what's happening right now in Brazil. They sprung, through the use of a corrupt court, a person who was doing time in a Brazilian prison. He ran against the incumbent president. They had the voting machines rigged that was switching votes in one of the uh, states, all for the thug, Lula, and he was declared the president. Now the people have taken to the streets and they're demanding the military out him and reinstall the previous president because they recognize it's a corrupt election and they cannot rely on the processes of law because it has all been corrupted. We are fast approaching that point in the United States of America. People saw what they saw. And it's not disinformation. It's not conspiracy theory. It's real. And the fact that they're telling you it's disinformation is just the new speak, the new language to try and justify 
and make legal censorship. You have something you want to say. You have a contrary point of view. You have evidence to present to support your conclusion. And you're prevented from doing it because they don't agree with it. This podcast used to be on YouTube. I had to stop uploading it to YouTube. Oh, we're so sorry. We had to suspend your account again. You are spreading disinformation. You're violating our disinformation policy. Please don't do that again, or we'll have to lock you out completely. Well, they didn't lock me out completely. I just deleted my account. I'm going to get the podcast off the ground with or without YouTube's help. We're going to do most of it through Rumble, I think, going forward. So what happens, though? Well, that's how revolutions are born, my friends. People don't want to be spat upon in their faces and told that it's raining. That's what's happened in 2020. That's what I believe happened in Arizona with Carrie Lake and that idiot that she ran against, Katie Hobbs, the woman who's currently in the position of Secretary of State who controls the election and the counting of votes. Pretty convenient when you're running for election. People get fed up. And they take matters into their own hands. So, a warning to my Democrat friends can only push people so far. And beyond a certain point, they start pushing back. Which is probably why the FBI is spending so much time investigating MAGA people investigating far-right extremists, investigating extremist organizations, but the only extremist organizations they want to investigate are those they choose to categorize as far-right. And far-right now doesn't mean far-right. It just means people who aren't far-left, who don't agree with you. See, far-left extremists, we don't investigate them. We don't handcuff them. We don't stop them. We try and promote them. We try and um, support them with a corrupt media. But anybody that expresses a contrary view, oh, you're a far-right extremist. Chuck Schumer, famously, oh, he's going to appoint far-right extremist judges? Well, Chucky, what's wrong with that? You have no problem appointing far-left extremist judges. Oh, but you don't call them far-left extremist judges. You just call them centrists. Really? Sotomayor was a centrist, the one who belonged to La Raza? the organization that thinks that half of the American Midwest was stolen from Mexico and that we need to give it back to the Mexicans or the Mexicans need to take it back. She's a centrist. She's not a far-left extremist. I think not. I think not. But that's what's happening in this country now, ladies and gentlemen. We're being pushed. Pushed to to the brink of revolution. And there was no revolution. There was no attempt to overthrow the government of the United States on January 6th. You had people that were protesting. They were pissed off. They were pissed off because they saw it before their very eyes. And they didn't break into the Capitol. They were encouraged to enter the Capitol. We're still not getting answers. Ray Epps was running around. They saw him at multiple places saying, tomorrow we've got to break into that building. He was an FBI agent. They're not telling you that, but that's going to come out. His name was on a wanted poster because he was there inciting to riot. Miraculously, his name and face disappeared from that poster. 
because he's in the employ of the government of the United States, the shadow government that was looking to undermine President Trump from day one. And they're the ones that allowed people to get into the Capitol. And what did they do when they got in there? Did they hurt anybody? Did they shoot anybody? Did they beat anybody? No, they sat in Nancy Pelosi's chair. Ooh. But poor Ashley, the Air Force veteran, she had to be executed because she was in a building by a cowardly lieutenant from the Capitol Police. And let me tell you something. It takes an awful lot for me to take sides against a police officer. But there's no question about it. I've explained it in detail why that was an out-and-out murder, why it was not justified by any guidelines of use of force that you care to name. And if somebody wants to send me an email at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com and you want me to cover that case again, by all means do. And I will cover it again and explain it in painstaking detail as I have in the past. But that's where we're at. We're at a very pivotal, very, very dangerous tipping point in our country's history where the people are so fed up and so sick and tired of being lied to and being defeated by a rigged game that we're coming close to people taking matters in their own hands if we don't get effective and responsive government and get it soon. That's all for today. For the Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury. <laughs>